Hey everybody, welcome to Is It a Classic, the podcast that watches a match in wrestling history and tells you, the listener, definitively if it is in fact a classic. Today we are taking our first trip into the world of all elite wrestling where we review Cody versus Dustin Rhodes. Almost said Cody Rhodes. He's just Cody here. Cody versus Dustin Rhodes at Double or Nothing 2019. My name is Chad, and I'm joined as always by my best friend, Daniel. All right, let's get to it. The biggest match in pro wrestling history. This is not a wrestling match. Ding dong. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another fantastic, some would say fantastic, some would say entertaining, informational, infotainment, all of those words, episode of Is It a Classic? That is, of course, the podcast that takes a look at classic brothers in wrestling. We're talking your Duns. We're talking your Guns. We're talking your Beverly's. Uh, all the great brother combos. What about the major brothers? That was awesome. Oh, super awesome. Can't forget them. Uh, and that's about it as far as brothers in wrestling. I don't think there are any other brothers that are out there in wrestling. No, we have a match to talk about with um, a couple guys in it, but no other brothers. Well, yeah, that match is, uh, just so everybody knows, you probably heard in the intro and saw in the title where we're talking about uh, AEW Double or Nothing 2019 between Dustin Rhodes and Cody. I mean, Cody has no last name. We don't know what family he belongs to. We uh, just know he's he's the American Nightmare, I guess, but that's a nickname and not a last name. So it's just, you know, Dustin Rhodes and a guy named Cody. It's Cody. Cody. All right. Well, enough of enough brother talk. Uh, it is. We're, we're glad to have everybody here. We're glad to be back in somewhat of a rhythm. We're glad to have all of our equipment working. We're glad to keep doing this for all of you that are listening, wrestling fans, non-wrestling fans, and all those wrestlers that we know are listening in the locker room right now. We all appreciate you. All of them. All of them. Are you saying that all of them listen, or you're saying hello to all of them, all of them that do listen? No, they all listen. We're 13 episodes deep, so we've we've scooped up everybody by this point. That's true. Uh, we've always had that tell a friend policy, and I mean they're telling all their friends. Yeah. <laughs> well, as mentioned this week, we're going to talk about AEW Double or Nothing, our first foray into AEW on this show with Cody versus Dustin Rhodes um, in a generation versus generation, yes, brother versus brother match, um, which will be fun to get to. But before we get to that, anything in recent wrestling that you want to talk about, Dean? So you and I had some fun this week watching a little bit of the programming together. Um, That's right. I did not get to watch Raw this week, um, but I did read up on the results. It sounds like it was riddle heavy, which means that should be good. And uh, mm-hmm. it looks like we're building towards a pretty good Kofi and Bobby Lashley uh, rivalry. You know, a lot of MVP sprinkled in there. But by all accounts, that's been pretty good shit. Yeah, the, you know, Raw, 
this past week wasn't as good as the previous week, but I mean, Matt Riddle is just amazing. He did great in the battle Royale. That three-way match at the end of the night was really fire, you know, between Riddle and AJ and Drew. That was such a great match as well. And then, yeah, the Kofi MVP stuff was great. And like Kofi gets to be himself on the mic and MVP gets to play that, you know, better than you style heel, which he does so well. And, and, it, and it works so well. The rest of the show, meh. But that stuff is really carrying what's going on now. And hopefully it translates translate in a couple of weeks when the dub gets back in front of a live audience. Yeah, I think we've discussed at na- ad nauseum that uh, both shows can have a lot of meh to them because the rosters are thin. I mean, we are a couple of weeks away from hopefully things really ramping up and getting back to normal. So, you know, we've got to just kind of deal with the hand that we're given here. Um I mean, what a cool setup, though. I don't know what the reason was for Randy having to be off of Raw, but, uh, you know, just a cool angle to build up, you know, Riddle having to win a match just to get a chance to be in this match to possibly get Randy Orton entered into the money in the bank. Um, And then obviously he comes up a little short, so you wonder, you know, with their relationship always seemingly a little strained because of their major character differences, where do they go from here? How does this angle play out? Uh, nice sort of little cliffhanger booking. So uh, hats off to Raw for doing something worth watching because uh, Lord knows we are all at the end of our rope as far as the Thunderdome, the depleted roster, and just the overall kind of corporate piped-in junk that uh, is the show format we are dealt. Well, they're actually finally getting to a place where they could potentially be making a star in Riddle. This is somebody where if they play their cards right with this angle and take the momentum from this past week that he can use his partnership with Randy Orton to really like jump himself up into the upper mid card into maybe even some main events. And, you know, I don't know that he's world championship ready right now, but he's definitely like get that U.S. belt back and, you know, do something great with it and have a long run with that and be that type of – that type of old workhorse champion that used to have those secondary belts. Yeah, dude, I don't want to sound like too much of an old man here, but Riddle seems like uh, he would definitely be the type of character that would be relatable to a younger audience right now, or at least kind of that 18 to 25 male demographic. And uh, I don't know, man, I think you strike while the iron's hot there and just keep running with it. They're doing a good job. They've really presented him as a strong threat. And, uh, you know, a couple of big wins and he could be in a whole different stratosphere as far as his tier placement or whether or not he can break through the glass ceiling, brother, which we'll have to discuss a little bit in the build to the match that we're going to talk about this week. Um, But, yeah, enough about Raw. We watched SmackDown together. I thought SmackDown was its usual solid self. I mean, um, I don't know, three, four years ago, you might have said that there was too much Roman Reigns going on and it was a minus. And now Roman Reigns is, you know, fantastic. And his character's been running rampant, and it's just wonderful to see. We had a big return of the Rated R Superstar Edge, who has now donned himself the Iconoclast. I thought that was maybe a brand of a shirt, but no. I looked it up on Yield Wikipedia, and that's an actual nickname. Um, It was so kind of generic, but obviously an unused nickname that I forgot what it meant. But not a big fan of people uh, branding themselves as something upon their return. Um, you know, big fan of nicknames like El Idolio, but Econoclast, uh, no thanks. 
Uh, Ellie Dolio is, of course, the greatest nickname, which can only belong to one man, which would be Andrade. Um, what's an example of somebody else who came back and branded themselves as something that that like really soured your milk, which I don't think is a phrase anyone uses? I can't think of a ton of them. I mean, usually nicknames are a bit organic. They kind of come from either a promo or the announcer starting to call someone something. So I don't know where you going somewhere with that because I can't, you know. I, no, I was, I was just trying to think of. I'm, I'm a little fried. No, I was just trying to think of uh, a time where somebody did come back and gave themselves a nickname or something, or they tried to like basically be their own gimmick, like because Matt Hardy does it all the time, and for him it works. Well, yeah, for a heel it can work, and I know Edge was kind of a tweener, but obviously if he's facing off with Roman and making this big return, you know, Econoclast is not really a heel move. It is, but it's supposed to be on your number one badass baby face who also likes to yell at his opponents when they're standing on the ramp and ask where they are or where they're at and tell them that he's right here, even though they're right there. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, that was very odd. So uh, well, yeah, physically it, thumbs up, but uh, the psychology or storytelling, as we like to call it, gonna have to go thumbs down there. Gonna have to go thumbs down. Uh, overall, that segment not a classic, but got some stuff <laughs> <No>. going. <laughs> Did some good stuff to it. Go uh, ahead and play right. the cage lowering music. It's, din, you know, din, SmackDown din, was your din, choice din, this week. Din, 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 din. Uh, and then we got to see AEW together as well, uh, which was fun to watch. Got to see Kenny Omega uh, face off with Jungle B, the old Jungle B there. Uh, the B stands for boy, for anyone that doesn't know. I thought that was a really good match uh, between those two. Uh, of course, on social media, everybody got to see Jungle Boy walked away with a much sweeter prize than the AEW World title. And Anna J, them in a big lip lock, I guess, announcing their relationship. Um, but... I thought Jungle Boy, I thought they booked that match perfect in the sense of, uh, you you know, Kenny Omega's gotten all these interference wins and he needs a clean win to show he's still the best. They teased that there was going to be interference, but then it got cut off. And so there was no interference. Jungle Boy got elevated because he got a lot of good near falls and got the snare trap a couple of times and had Omega, you know, fighting for his life. But in the end, Omega wasn't clean. So I thought it was a great match. Yeah, expected result, but great match. Uh, Jungle Boy is obviously elevated just by being in there, hanging tough, and uh, you know the the performance that he had will pay dividends in the future. Um, I think we both didn't like Christian interfering in Jungle Boy's pre match promo and not letting not letting him speak for himself. Also, doing things uh, that seem to be a little heelish or a little out of place. But I think that they've got us right where they want us. Because we talked about the emergence of what I would call Dynamite's MVP lately in Adam Hangman Page just having great singles matches and putting it all on the line week after week. He is obviously basically next in line as far as rankings are concerned for an AEW world title shot or program. And um, they're keeping him away from the champion, but they keep splicing in a little bit of Christian. And so I think with the debut of AEW's next show, Rampage, they're going to try and come out with a bang. And they're going to give us another world title match soon. I think Christian's going to get a shot. I think he's going to lose. And I think his kind of overbearing veteran 
white meat babyface character he's been playing, especially when rubbed up against Jungle Boy, is going to lead to a heel turn after a world title loss. And I think he's going to start working with some of these young guns as a heel, and I think it's going to be really good. Yeah, Christian was like brought in to make the splash and just sort of been there without making an impact. And I think you're right. I think turning him heel is the way to a way that he can go. And I mean, everyone, everyone's a part of a faction somewhere. And so you give him a couple of guides too that are heels that he can talk for, like he did Jungle Boy. You know, let's go to the back for Jungle Boy. Well, guys, uh, tonight's my hey Jungle Boy. It's Christian. Uh, I just wanted to let you know. Um, here's the promo you should be cutting. Uh, I'm going to tell you not to have any fear. You should be a little pissed off. So, like, tell everyone that you're pissed off, but, like, not right now. When the camera's off, just tell yourself that you're pissed off. And then uh, you're going to go out there and you're going to win one, right? People don't think you're going to win, but, like, let people know you're going to win. I just want you to know that, all right? But don't talk about it now. The camera's on. That red light goes off. Say anything you want. But right now, uh, good luck, and I'm out of here. Dude, you killed it. That is exactly what he did. It was so over the top. They've given Jungle Boy Tomco levels of dialogue here. Like, he has spoken maybe four words um, in the last few weeks in the biggest program of his life. And, you know, Christian running interference again. I got to say, Jungle Boy got dissed. (laughs) (laughs) To me, one of the oddest things about it, though, is that his... Uh, father was legendary actor Luke Perry. So there's definitely acting that runs in his family. And so you would think that, you know, they could at least get a coach or somebody like to sort of work it, work, work it up, but give them some talking segments on dark or dark elevation or, or, you know, rampage or dark chocolate or whatever show they've got going on this week. And, you know, give them some, some mic time, but I think it, they were anyways. banking on uh, old man Perry being around to coach him up, and he didn't make it. All right, mm-hmm. moving on. We have uh, we did have Hangman Page and Will Hobbs. Uh, I mean, I thought that was a good, solid match to to open up. Uh, I just want to say to Hangman, uh, please don't throw your head directly into a ring post. That was not a, it's their post is for shoulders, not for the back of your head. Ouch. And uh, listen, I'm going to roll right into it. Cut the shit of the week. Cut the shit. Oh, Conan and Tully Blanchard basically cutting a shoot promo on each other, unbeknownst to the other guy. Conan covering great topics like systemic racism and, uh, you know, that his guys' struggles growing up were obviously worse than Tully's guys. Uh it seemed to catch Tully off guard, but he rolled with it really well. But I have to say that the segment as a whole was a super miss until we got Conan with well-documented health problems, obviously in the worst shape of his life, not doing so good, flopping that belly out and taking a spike pile driver like an absolute stallion, even though I it looks like he can barely walk. He sold that so well, and... Good on, I think it was Dax that ended up having to hold him. Good on Dax getting him up, and good on Conan getting up for Dax to to deliver that. Yeah, FTR, what what can't these guys do? Uh, I mean, spike pile drive. Uh, uh, this is the second week in a row that a old legend with a bad medical history <laughs> has gotten punked. First, Dean Malenko, who has Parkinson's, and Conan, who almost lost his life to COVID and has been battling health issues. You know what's crazy? 
obviously Conan has had health issues, but we're going to talk uh, in a few different points about people's age and probably more importantly, Ric Flair's age as it lines up with other people involved in what we're talking about today. Conan is 57 years old. Okay. And he's had health problems, which Ric Flair has probably documented in most of his podcasts because that is a big time topic. Anytime Flair's on a radio interview, he's like, oh, let me tell you, I just met up with this guy and now he's doing so bad. He's, his health is so bad. It's so bad. Uh, but I'm doing great. I'm doing great. And uh, then I met up with uh, Harley Racing, but he's doing so bad. I mean, look at me. I can't believe it. He's doing so bad. Flair, you know, the, the sad updater of health and wealth of our guys. Um, but anyway, Conan is 57. When Ric Flair was 57, he had, which we will need to review, a fucking badass cage match with Triple H at Survivor Series, or Taboo Tuesday, I think. So, boy. Yeah, Taboo Tuesday. Conan, trying to give Rick a run for his money as far as things you can pull off at your age with a hellacious bump. But uh, to put it into context, Conan looks 70. Yeah, some guys just age differently than other guys, you know. No longer friend of the podcast, a, by the way, after that. You're welcome. Yeah, of course. Yeah, friend of the pod, friend of the pod for sure. Yeah, some people just, you know, age a little bit differently, especially in the wrestling business, especially with the choices they made. Although, again, Ric Flair made all of the choices oh. against his liver and a plane crash, but uh, he never uh, took a flat back bump off the top rope. So that's awesome. there's that. That's, that's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. All right, anything else from recent wrestling you want to discuss? You are shaking your head to the left and the right, which is an international symbol for no. Thank you for that breakdown. That's right. No. No. Well, I guess that means there's only one thing left to do and send it to our main event. Ladies and gentlemen, this contest set for one fall is for the... You're looking at the real deal now. No, that's wrong. Don't we do the breakdown first and then do the main event? No, I say it's time for our main event, and then that doesn't. We play right. the main event drop, and then I go through the categories, and then you do the match breakdown. Well, let's edit this right out. We are not going to edit it out. We will leave all of this in. And I will put it's a the same I, you know, I'm do, every week, Daniel. I'm gonna do I'm gonna do two main event drops. I'm gonna put a main event drop before you going no. And then I will put ooh, and then I'll put another main event drop. Well it's a good thing so, I took my on it alpha brain before this episode and I've had a complete lapse in memory. Did you really take your alpha brain? Of course. I yeah, take alpha brain um, and drink alcohol so I can have weird dreams at night. And hopefully there's a little uh, you know, residual success as far as my brain patterns and thought processes on the podcast. So, uh, no, but I will have some cool dreams later, but obviously it didn't work <laughs> as far as my mental functioning. All right, it's time for our main event. All right, folks, let's get this thing started. Take it down to the Deffer Yeffer, Justin Roberts. Ladies and gentlemen, your main event tonight set for a one fall with a 60-minute time limit. All right, welcome back from whatever drop I put in there. Uh, as usual, uh, we'll go to the categories that we use to review the match, but we want to remind you we're talking Cody versus Dustin Rhodes, AEW, 
uh, Double or Nothing 2019. And we do take a look at four different categories as we are reviewing the match after we break it down uh, and take you through the match itself so we can determine definitively if it is a classic. Those categories are, first, storytelling. So what was the story of the match? Did it have a story? Did it flow from start to finish? Did it climax? Did it have a good ending? How did that story go? Uh, you know, Did it make sense? Did anything happen that took you out of it or that they uh, steered away from the story? Next, we've got atmosphere. As I like to say, did you feel it in your loins? How was the crowd heat? How were the commentators? You know, did you feel the emotion of the match? Um, and did you feel it from start to finish? Third, we've got execution. Was everything excellently executed? Were there any messed up spots? Did anything take you out of the match? Anything out of place that you that uh, shouldn't have been there? Any slip-ups? Or was it flawless transition move to move? And then finally, significance, uh, the one that may have the most weight on it, uh, depending on the week. But the significance, does it hold a place in wrestling history? Did it do something different that's never been done before? Is it memorable for some reason? Is there, is there a reason why people are still talking about it today? So those are our categories. That's what we're going to talk about after we get through the match. But we can't get to the match until we get the history leading up to it and sort of the breakdown uh, of what led to Cody versus Dustin Rhodes on that night. D, go for it. So here we are on our lucky number 13th episode. We are covering, as mentioned, the natural Dustin Rhodes taking on his younger brother, the American nightmare, Cody. Cody is now known as Cody Rhodes once again in a surprising uh, release of a trademark from the double double E. I love double double E. Back to Cody and making roads available for him to use, which I think was very nice on their part, and it does help him and the company. This was held at AEW Double or Nothing, which is AEW's first pay per view show. This is not the first show where a lot of these superstars got together, as we'll cover. The, this match took place on May 25th, 2019. AEW was unveiled in January of 2019. And it's coming off on the heels of a very successful, some say the biggest and most successful independent wrestling show of all time, titled All In, which took place in 2018. Um, this took place at the MGM Grand Garden Arena. That's in Paradise, Nevada, pretty close to Las Vegas. I guess technically it's not but I would say Las Vegas. And as we mentioned, these are two brothers, Cody much younger than Dustin. Cody is 33 when this match takes place, and Dustin is 50. Looks better than Conan. So Much better. Obviously, both of these gentlemen had long, distinguished runs in the WWE. We'll skip to their last program of significance, which was really a tag title run where the Rhodes brothers actually defeated Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins. Now, the Shield never lost as a unit, but these two uh, these two men did lose the tag team championships to Dustin and Cody. Dustin was gold dust at the time. This was in October of 2013. Obviously, a feel-good moment. I can remember when the match happened. Uh, the Shield rarely lost. These guys were vaulted to the cop- top of the card early, and they had much success. And this was a pretty hot angle. You had Dusty Rhodes involved. 
you've got, you know, family ties and a very famous pie facing of Stephanie McMahon by Dusty Rhodes in a promo. Google that if you haven't seen it. It's ad-libbed. Dusty is pleading for his boys to get some better treatment against the authority, Triple H and Stephanie. And as he's talking face-to-face, man-to-man with Paul Levesque, Triple H, Stephanie decides to reach her little neck in and say something, and Dusty tells her to talk to the hand, and pretty much pie faces are off screen. I don't know if it's true, but if I recall correctly, Stephanie was livid. And uh, things weren't really the same for old Dusty after that as far as him being allowed to be on television. He did have a fantastic run as a mentor in NXT, but I don't know that we saw much of him on Raw after that. And I think that had the unintended consequences of even more solidifying that WWE wanted their promos scripted. Absolutely. You know, we cover a lot of the, you know, today's stuff in our early segments and I hate to beat a dead horse, but it's, it's very formulaic at times, very scripted. We all know the reasons that may be, but, uh, you're right. This is probably one of those reasons that Stephanie and anybody else involved who was spearheading the script, uh, you know, the mandated scripts, they can point to things like this as, you know, needing to keep those types of things in check. So you're probably not going to see this quote unquote feel good moment from the Rhodes family played much uh, as far as WWE programming goes or uh, exists much longer in WWE lore, especially now that these two are entrenched in AEW, Cody Rhodes being one of the EVPs, if you will. Uh, but that was Dustin Rhodes' first WWE title in 11 years at that time. And they pretty quickly lost um, the tag titles and they broke up following a losing streak of sorts for the tag team. And this caused Cody to just tell Dustin that he needed to go on without him and he needed to find a better partner. What we got was a short absence from Cody and then an emergence of a new groundbreaking character, Stardust which was pretty fun at the beginning because Cody really is that good. And it's a play off of his brother's character, gold dust, and they existed pretty well. And lo and behold, you have a tag team. That's somewhat interesting. You can have the young brother, maybe break up down the line, lead to a feud, maybe a match at WrestleMania, something where no, you get none of that. You get stardust and gold dust interacting for a little while. And then you pretty much just get stardust, the mid Carter to lower mid Carter getting beaten over and over and over again. Cody, as well-documented, pleaded with the WWE management and the writers to try and get something going, maybe drop the Stardust character, get you know something else going down the tank. This man was a six-time WWE Tag Team Champion and a three-time Intercontinental Champion involved with various different characters. I mean, they threw everything they could think of to try and stick it to Cody Rhodes. And he usually did pretty well. But as he toiled around with Stardust, he reached a low point. His last WWE match on television and his last WWE match, period, was a loss to Zack Ryder, of all people, on Superstars. And that took place on May 20th in 2016. Cody had had enough at that point. He asked for his release, and he was given it the next day. Cody said that when he asked for his release... That Paul Levesque, Triple H, was pretty shocked and questioned why Cody would do this. 
especially since the WWE had gainfully employed his father now since 2005 and his brother and had been good to the Rhodes family monetarily, which Cody did not deny. But he said so that he told Triple H he's not his dad. He couldn't stay loyal to the company just because they hired his dad back when. And Cody left. He had a well-documented run through the independent circuit, most notably with New Japan, Ring of Honor, and TNA. And some meetings that he had with talent, some friendships that he made, eventually led to a spark, which some would call a revolution. It took place in September 2018. It's that all-in show that we talked about. It held over 11,000 fans and was a very big commercial success. Like I said, Heralded is probably the greatest and most successful independent show of all time. Later in January of 2019, we'd have AEW unveiled, and now we'd have AEW's first ever venture into an official pay-per-view, which was this show, Double or Nothing. Dustin, on the other hand, stayed with the WWE for a little bit longer. He last appeared at WWE's Greatest Royal Rumble, which was in April of 2018 in Saudi Arabia. He ended up having double knee surgery after that. And that was in July. His contract would expire in March of 2019, and he confirmed asking for and being granted his release following the expiration of his contract in April. So Dustin hasn't wrestled a match in over a year before this one. We don't have a lot of build to this match. Uh, Cody would tease that he was going to have an opponent for Double or Nothing, and he would tease an announcement of his opponent for quite a while before eventually announcing that it was going to be his brother Dustin. Dustin would debut a new look that he would put on Instagram post. He was calling himself the natural Dustin Rhodes again. And much like his gold dust character, there's heavy face face paint involved. Um, But he would paint one half of his face and he was going with some red and black color, something we hadn't seen from him before. But he's 50 years old. He was a big proponent, proponent of DDP yoga at the time, looked to be in great shape. But he hasn't wrestled in over a year, and he's 50 years old. Young Cody would say that it was his job to put down his brother, and by beating Dustin Rhodes, he would also be killing the Attitude Era. In the promo that he did, which was an extremely emotional one and a great interview, he took a whole lot of pot shots at the WWE, the Attitude Era, and most of the big stars of 20 years past, including Triple H and The Rock, who he called Dwayne and mentioned specifically. Cody would compare high work rate matches, and a culture of wrestling that was popular today and basically said that it trounces you know, the gimmick matches and the weapons and the smoke and mirrors, Gaga, and everything that embodied the Attitude Era. So we have a big clash of generations here, brother versus brother. What's going to happen? It's AEW's first pay-per-view, and this match had a lot of momentum going into it, a lot of heat. As Chad will describe, the atmosphere is loud and it is all-encompassing right off the bat. Great breakdown there. And I want to mention that uh, I remember because I was – I know you weren't following AEW as much, but I was back then. And they, you know, every week or so had their Road to Dynamite – road to, excuse me, Road to Double or Nothing um, web series that they did, which they've now turned into Road to Dynamites and Road to Different Stuff where they put together just amazing video packages that – uh, you know, unfortunately only live on YouTube because they don't have a lot of time on television to, to do them. But these are like 20 to 30 minute weekly episodes. And there wasn't there was a couple of big matches on this show and a couple of just like, hey, these are showcasing some stars and putting some good work together. But this was definitely one of the big stories that each week Cody kept building up. It's going to be something somebody 
great that I need to fight. And then he said it was Dustin and they build up him killing the attitude area, area, like Daniel said. So um, this, this was probably for a lot of people, this was the match that they were looking forward to the most, you know, between this and then Jericho Omega, which ended the night between those two, those were definitely the top two most anticipated matches that got people buying the show on BR live. You could tell, I mean, I remember even though not being uh, compelled to buy the show at all, I did wonder how this match was going to play out. I was excited to hear the results of this match. I had wanted them to work a WrestleMania match together. They had heavily pitched that as an early card match for WrestleMania, uh, brother versus brother. This is kind of how they would have liked to have gone out. This might have been the last you ever saw of Dustin Rhodes had that played out properly like they requested in WWE, but we never got that. So it was awesome that we were going to get it here. Correct. And so we did get it here, and it's time to jump into the match, uh, the match itself. So as you mentioned, we are in Paradise, Nevada, a.k.a. Las Vegas. Your referee for this match is actually Earl Hebner. Earl Hebner, um, which this may have been his last appearance in AEW, if I'm not mistaken, but... Um, you know, he's there 42 years of refereeing. They mentioned on the show on the call, you've got Jim Ross Excalibur. And then you've got Alex Marvez, who's currently a backstage interviewer. Uh, but they were giving a try on this show to be a part of the commentary team. And when, uh, it didn't go so well on this show, uh, they got a lot of feedback. He was moved to that backstage role and Tony Schiavone was brought in. So, uh, got Alex Marvez, JR and Excalibur. And uh, just a quick note before they got to the match, uh, before they played the video package for the match, um, the previous match ends, and then JR's just sort of looking, and there's a little bit of a dead air, and he goes, well, fellas, I'm not exactly sure where we are on the card right now, and he's he's wondering what's going on, and Alex Marvez is like, I, it's Cody versus Dustin, and Jim, Jim's like, oh yeah, I'm just, it's a, an exciting night, you know, it's an exciting night here, and this is Another one to look forward to, and he recovered quickly, but I thought that was a little a little funny, JR getting his sea legs underneath him again. Well, thank God I'm wearing my darks here, because I just pissed myself. <laughs> That's right. Um, so we got the great video package um, with some great tunes going for it, and out first is Cody. Uh, Cody with his still uh, iconic song by Down Straight called Kingdom. He had it all throughout New Japan um, and everywhere he went in the independence, and he brought it with him to AEW. And so as he comes out, as he comes out, uh, you see a throne on the side of the stage there, uh, and you're wondering, I mean, it sort of looks like it's got a Triple H logo on it, uh, something close to it, but he walks by it, and you're not sure what's going on. He walks towards the ring. He gets all the way to the ring and Brandy grabs a sledgehammer, I guess, from under the ring and gives it to Cody. And Cody goes back up the ramp, up to the throne. And in a symbolic moment, he takes that sledgehammer and he softly slams it down on the throne, which then violently breaks and explodes with smoke behind it. So I can't tell if I like this or not. The crowd was there for it. They... They knew what was up. I mean, as soon as you see this iron cross and skulls on this faux concrete throne that they had out there, you know, the crowd was anticipating like, oh, yeah, you know, we're obviously AEW fans. Let's stick it to the WWE. But what I found funny was, so Cody walks by it. 
goes all the way down to the ring apron, like you said. Then pyro goes off a bunch. So there's just all this background pyro going off, which, you know, was a little weird. Cody's in his little colonial jacket, which I don't like at all. But, you know, when he marches back up that ramp and goes to hit the thing, I mean, the crowd is there for it. He does just sort of, I don't know if he just dropped it and then the thing, you know, exploded in a powder puff and fell apart. Could have done a little better. But, you know, that's how AEW does explosions. That was probably the exact same amount of pyro (laughs) and visual that we got at the Uh end of the barbed wire death match, uh, which I will (laughs) never let go. But uh, I can't tell if I liked it or not. I, I don't I wouldn't say that it took away from anything. And I can totally understand, you know, especially with the, as I mentioned, sort of thinly veiled shots at Triple H personally uh, in the match lead up promo. I can see why he did that. But uh, this was kind of a significant entrance and a pot shot, if you will, that he decided to take right off the bat. I uh, I don't know if it was a hit for me, though. What do you think? A pot shot, if you will. Um, You know, at the time I was I was, ooh. And now I'm like, okay, I remember that's why that they did that. Like it, it, it's, I think it's a, a symbolic moment for AEW, regardless of the execution. So uh, I, I understand why they did it and it fit with what the storyline of the match was of killing the attitude era. Um, that's very you know, true. Still, and Cody was yeah. a heel. So this really wouldn't have worked to me if he were a baby face, if this were a face versus face, serious brother versus brother uh, match only. I think that would have taken away from it. But Cody being a heel, this this could work well enough. And the crowd still popped for it because they this did. is the first AEW show. So all of these guys are going to be stars to them, especially someone like Cody, who's known to be one of the EVPs of the brand. So, um, so he did get to pop there. Uh, but then he he does that. He makes his way back to the ring, and it's time for the natural to start making his way out. And so he comes out. He's slowly walking out. He's got a long jacket on with a hoodie, uh, with a hood on top of it. He's making a slow walk to the ring. As you mentioned, this is his first walk to the ring in over a year. Um, so for him, you know, you got to believe he's he's thinking about what's ahead of him, and he makes his way in. Um, and as his music is going, a dusty chant starts to starts to happen pre-bell. The music shuts off, and you can hear the dusty chant loud and clear. I got to give props to old Dustin. He got a hell of a pop coming out. Now, I know that the crowd was ready for this match, and they were into the whole segment, and I knew that they would pop for Cody, but they really popped for Dustin, too, and he had a, uh, what's the what's the Green Day song that his theme's a knockoff of? Like, I don't know from the nineties. They, they do, they kind of do a little fake. Yeah. You'll know that guitar riff as soon as you hear it, but they do sort of a faux gold dust homage at the beginning. And they kick to that and the crowd pop crazy for Dustin. That's gotta be the biggest pop he ever got. I think so. My My face is gonna bleed. Yeah. I mean, it was just like that. It's called like my brain own. Stew. Here we go. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Let's just sing Anyways. it. Let's just sing it. Nobody cares about Yeah, that. that should be the rest of the show. Us singing that song, classic. All right, so we get the Dusty Chant pre, pre-bell, 
and then Hebner calls for it, and the crowd is up for this match. We get immediate this is awesome chance because they are just feeling what's going on in the ring there. Um, as they're chanting, Cody lifts up his bicep and kisses it to try and heal and show that he's the heel in this match, so please boo him. Um, they stall for a little bit more. We get another Dusty chant. Dustin po- points up in the air uh, to Dusty. Then we get a lockup and a stalemate. We get a, well, it sounded like a Dusty's favorite chant. Not sure about that. Um, and then we get a heel trip by Cody, who then does a cartwheel into the stardust pose where he puts his hands together and then he spreads them out wide, continuing to show, hey, I am a heel, and the crowd continuing to pop for the things that Cody are, is doing to still babyface him. So we get a headlock by Cody. Uh, he goes off the ropes. He drops down, does the uh, drop down uppercut to Dustin. Then he hits a, then Dustin rolls to the outside. Cody hits a tope suicida and almost completely overshoots Dustin. He has to basically catch Dustin and almost sling blade him so he doesn't go flying into the railing himself. Dustin then tells somebody in the crowd, tells the crowd to move out of the way so he can fake throw Dustin into the railing. And because he's a heel, he's going to throw Dustin into the ring. Well, Dustin doesn't realize the spot here and just sort of lumbers into the ring. And so they call it again. Cody tells him to move, does the fake out. And this time, Dustin hops up, spins around, and comes back and hits hits Cody. Then as Cody's getting up, Dustin gets up to the apron, and he runs, and he does a flip somersault senton off the apron onto Cody on the floor, and we get immediate you still got it chance. Luckily, the only you still got it chance uh, of the night, because I know how much you love those, D. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this. It sucks when you get a you still got it chant when you haven't really had a long absence. We were trying to think of good times where you could bring that up, a la Ricky Steamboat's return to the WWE uh, around 2009. I mean, the guy has got white hair, hasn't wrestled in 15 years. You still got it. Makes sense. Dustin Rhodes, it kind of makes sense. But when you're trying to take a guy serious and like this isn't necessarily the end for him or he's reemerging, I don't like it. Well, luckily, that was the only you still got at Chan of the Night. So we get back in the ring. Dustin hits the old 10 punches to Cody in the corner. And before that 10th punch, does a stardust hands together and move out of his own. And, you know, Dustin's given that right back to Cody. Cody did a stardust pose early on um, when he was getting the better of Dustin, sort of in the early exchanges. Obviously, he's younger. If they're just going to do basic chain wrestling, Cody's probably going to get the advantage early on. And he did. So... Cody sprinkled a little stardust on that match, and Dustin gives it back to him, which I love. And then Dustin starts with some dusty punches, straight punches to Cody, rolls up for the elbow, but uh, Cody rolls out of the ring. Then Cody goes to take a powder, and he does it over the railing into the crowd. Like, where is Cody even going? No idea. It was weird watching it the first time. And Cody makes his way back through the timekeeper's table, grabs the timekeeper keepers bottle of water takes a big old swig and hands the bottle to brandy who's on the outside who accompanied cody to the ring then cody gets in he quickly goes behind dustin pushes dustin towards the rope and as he gets there cody rolls back grabs hebner and brandy hops up and nails 
Justin in the head with the water bottle, with the deadly water bottle. Cody that then hits bitch. a gut buster for our first near fall. What was that? That bitch. <laughs> Cody then locks in Dustin on like a locks him into like an on the knees abdominal stretch and then quickly lets go and gets a dragon screw. Um, and Alex Marvez is actually giving some good background talking about what Dustin was doing while he was away training to be a, a police officer, um, which was an interesting note that he, that he mentioned there. All right. From here, uh, we got Dustin up. He hits a reverse Irish whip to the corner. Cody goes up and over Dustin. And as Dustin runs at Cody, Cody hits a power slam. So now Cody has hit a power slam, uh, and he only gets a two count from it. They both get up. Dustin ducks the clothesline off the ropes uh, and then hits a couple of his own. He's starting his comeback, and Cody drops down now off the ropes. He sort of bends over in that old classic move as Dustin's running off, and he goes, not today, and he drops to his knees and hits that uh, while I'm down uppercut. So he's given back to Cody everything Cody's trying to give to him um, and all those sort of moves that Cody's been stealing from him. Cody then takes advantage and he sends Dustin to the turnbuckle. He runs at him. Dustin moves and then he gets Cody, gives him a couple of punches after Cody ran himself into the turnbuckle. And he starts to sit Cody on the middle turnbuckle, the old classic nut shot. I I know he had a name for it. I forget what his name of it it was. He's going Uh, for the shattered dreams, my friend. Shattered dreams, of course, of course. And he had a good, cool moment there where he put one leg of Cody's over the middle rope, and then he looks out to the crowd like, hey, you know what's going on here? And, of course, the crowd was starting to get up for it. And then he puts Cody's uh, other leg over the ropes. And so Cody's sitting there, and Dustin goes back, and he's sort of looking at the crowd. And as he's doing that, Cody furiously rips the middle turnbuckle pad off um it was obviously loose form which was great and throws it to the middle of the ring i don't think i've seen a turnbuckle ripped off that fast maybe the last time was kane in 1997 when he was just like the ultimate monster i mean (laughs) cody yanks that thing off like he had unscrewed it or unfastened it long ago yeah, this was like George the Animal Steel style, like quick ripping, just no like fluff flying out anywhere. And so Dustin proceeds to take the turnbuckle cover and chuck it into the crowd. Uh, I forget if they had a backup. I'm assuming that they did. And so Dustin chucks it into the crowd, but this is enough time for Cody to recover. So Dustin runs at Cody. Cody moves out of the way and drop toe holds Dustin's head right into the exposed steel of the middle turnbuckle. Uh, Dustin is immediately holding his head, immediately feels the pain there. Brandy gets a cheap shot in, which pushes Dustin out of the ring to the outside. And then as Dustin's sort of staggering up on the outside, Brandy out of nowhere runs and hits him with a beautiful spear on the floor. She fucking nailed Dustin there. And he did a good job of not selling it like he got hit by a 300-pound man, but he went down very convincingly. I'm sure you saw it too. It was kind of weird as soon. I mean, it was a genius counter by Cody on the shattered dreams, because if you're Dustin, you don't want to kick that exposed turnbuckle. That's going to hurt your foot. And then of course, Cody ends up reversing and doing a drop toe hold. So Dustin's head hits the middle turnbuckle that was exposed. Would have been a great place for an immediate blade job, which he's going to get to, 
But I thought that there was a weird delay between obviously his head hitting the exposed steel and it being a significant blow and him actually being able to make that happen. I would think that the spear from Brandy would have had a little more oomph to it if you would have been spearing a guy who was bleeding everywhere. I think that was pretty clearly the way they wanted to go, but they ended up having to have kind of a rope, uh, a foot choke spot with um, Cody choking Dustin immediately after he's hit that exposed steel. And it's like they're just trying to figure out or he needs to find that blade and he needs to be able to get into a better position to do what he ends up doing. But I thought it was odd. It was kind of a missed opportunity because it was such a good spot. But then there's just this odd delay between when he starts bleeding or when the camera picks him up bleeding. I mean, there was a good two or three moves in a minute or so between him hitting the turnbuckle and then you actually see him bleeding. That being said, Dustin did a fantastic job of keeping his hand clutched to his forehead so that if he would have liked to have already done this, he's not going to show you that his forehead was unscathed while he attempts to get into better position. He's got it stuck on his forehead the entire time until it's go time. See, I think in second watch, I had a little bit of a different opinion. I think that he needed to get to the outside of the ring. That's where he felt more comfortable doing the blade. And Brandy needed to get involved to get thrown out there. So I think that Cody doing the foot choke was to take get pushed off by the referee so Brandy could nail him and get him to the outside so he could then do it as opposed to just sitting there right in front of the camera, you know, cutting his face open. I would just think Which he would he have did. rolled out immediately after he hits his forehead. Well, he sort of like when he hit, he hit and he sort of laid there a little bit. Like it would have been, it would have looked too kind goofy if he hit and then like flailed backwards. So anyways, uh, enough about that spot. Uh, Brenny does get the, get the spear on the outside. Uh, as you said, uh, fucking kills him uh, with the spear there. And Hebner gets out to the outside of the ring, rolls his hands up and tosses her out of here. And Brandy's arguing. She's arguing. She didn't want to go. Hebner like starts physically pushing her up the ramp. And then who comes out? But Diamond Dallas Page comes out to lift Brandy up and bring her to the back himself. So uh, they 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 then cut to Dustin, and he is gushing blood on the outside. Uh, Excalibur is is convinced he cut his eyebrow. Marvez is convinced he's sweating blood, but either way, he is high up there on the Muda scale. Sweating uh, blood. I forgot. forgot. It's yeah, coming out of his Sweating blood. Yep, 100%. Um, you know, you get hit hard enough, and you're just going to sweat blood. And speaking of getting hit hard enough, Cody goes to the outside while Dustin's up and hit him with, hits him with some straight punches directly to the cut, uh, which is a surefire highlight of the match, those straight punches on the outside. Uh, we have some, uh, some close-ups that show the insane amount of blood dripping from Dustin and Cody's punching, kicking the cut. Dustin even sells being disoriented with a wild swing and a miss to, to at Cody that he just flails and flies across the ring. We got, let's go Dustin chance getting up there to really cheer him on. Cody stomping a mud hole and Dustin in the corner. Cody hits an Irish whip with the hard sell by Dustin uh, and Dustin. He's, He's ready to get fired up. He starts slamming the mat uh, himself to get the crowd to start clapping to get him into it. And they start clapping. They get going. Dustin whips. Dustin gets up and reverses a whip and whips Cody into the corner, goes for another wild swing and falls down. 
And then as he's down on his knees, Cody gets up and hits a curb stomp of all things for a two count. They do another close-up shot of Dustin, and there is a waterfall of blood coming off his face. In one of Dustin's wild swings, you can tell that when he's whipped, uh, Dust he's he's whipped Cody into the turnbuckle. When Cody comes back, Dustin's going to try for that spinning power slam. So he can't see. He's hoping that Cody's going to be in the right position, and so he goes ahead and does the entire swing motion as if he's caught Cody and he's going for the power slam. Because you really got to get some torque on that if you're going to slam a grown man that way. And so because Cody wasn't there for it, it spins uh, Dustin in position to get curb stomp. Ah. A couple inches off the mat, kind of like Kane taking a DDT, not going to do it. But uh, the flow of these spots was really good. Very good. And so uh, Cody goes up to the top, hits a double rope, uh, a double sledgehammer, excuse me, off the top straight to Dustin's cut. Cody goes back up to the top, misses but lands on his feet, and now Dustin is able to connect with that power slam. And the crowd pops harder for a power slam than I've ever heard in my life. Dustin now giving it back to Cody, but we get a two count. Dustin slams the mat again, trying to get the crowd behind him. He goes to grab Cody, but Cody, he goes to grab Cody and he's behind Cody. Cody reaches underneath his legs in a smart move, grabs Dustin's foot, trips him, and immediately goes into the figure four. There was no showboating. It was quick into the figure four. And Dustin sits up and he is screaming in pain. And every time he sits up to scream in pain, Cody sees that cut and hits a straight punch right to it, and Dustin goes back down. He starts trying his hardest to turn Cody over because we all know when you flip to your stomach in the figure four, you put the pressure on the other guy. Eventually, Dustin, he edges him, he edges him, and mm, gets him flipped over, and Cody is now screaming in pain, and we get a uh, front face shot of Dustin, face completely red from blood, screaming as he's getting this sort of uh, Indian death lock locked in. Cody makes it to the ropes. They're both down for a little bit. As they start to stagger to their feet, Cody gets up first because although he was just in that lock, he's still the fresher man, and he goes to take off the weight belt. Well, Hebner's right there, and Hebner grabs it and just eh, tosses it in the other corner, not out of the ring, just lightly tosses it in the other corner. Well, this gives Dustin enough time to recover, and he throws Cody into that turnbuckle, gets him up there with Cody facing out, pulls down Cody's pants, bare-assed, and then spanks him with the belt a couple of times. Uh, The crowd went nuts for that spot. It was a neat spot to see older brother uh, taking the belt to a younger brother. Well, they get off of that. Cody back elbows Dustin, who falls into the opposite corner. Cody runs at Dustin, but Dustin stops him, kicks Cody in the gut. He steps over Cody and then hits a code red for a near fall. This was the first older man doing a code red in wrestling, uh, which started a trend there. But he pulled it off, and I went nuts the first time I saw that. It was great. The crowd is now up, standing on their feet, cheering louder than they have before. Dustin sets Cody on the top ropes, and the AEW chants are going nuts. Dustin goes to hook Cody. You know it's superplex time, but in a a weird spot, Dustin sort of slips on the rope, 
and he falls with one foot. He doesn't fall backwards. He sort of falls with one foot and is able to twist his body enough to get Cody over him, but he almost superplexes Cody directly onto Earl Hebner, who has to literally jump out of the way of Cody flying at him. Scary spot. Scary spot. Uh, Dustin picks up Cody, and now he's thinking about putting Cody away. And he lifts Cody up, and he hits the final cut. This is the suplex, uh, where he suplexes him up and then sort of spins it into a spinning slam. Uh, as he slams him down on the mat with the final cut, the crowd pops, and Alex Marvez yells, Crossroads! And Alex Marvez has now worked his last show as lead announcer. That is correct. Well, final cut hits, one, two, kick out, and the crowd is hot. We got a double down. Both men are up. Dustin sets Cody up for the actual crossroads, has him hooked, but Hebner is sort of out of position, and Cody swings his leg behind him and low blows Dustin. He then hops to the ropes and hits a disaster kick. Then Cody picks Dustin up immediately and hits a crossroads of his own. One, two, kick out. The crowd is buzzing. Blood is dripping down Dustin's face. Both men are exhausted. Fight forever chants ring about the arena. Both men get up at the same time. Dustin hits a headbutt. And then Dustin hits a crossroads of his own. Dustin covers Cody. One, two, kick out. Both men are on their knees, down, staring at each other's eyes. They start brawling. We get boo-yay punches. Cody, Cody swinging, getting booed. Dustin hitting, getting yays. Cody hits the drop-down uppercut. Then Dustin returns, falls on her back, falls on his back, and hits an uppercut of his own. Then Cody, out of nowhere, hits a jumping bicycle kick, and then they start running at each other. Cody flies off the ropes, and then they collide in midair and hit what could only be a both attempted a sling blade. I don't know. It looked really weird. Both did a flip, um, but the crowd bought it. Dustin pinned Cody for a two, and the crowd bought it as a near fall. It still looked really athletic. I mean, they definitely flew around, so it looked cool at least. Yeah, I, I can only imagine it was either supposed to be a standing Spanish fly or Dustin was supposed to sling blade Cody, and they just got mistimed. Um, but the but Dustin still covered for the pin. They got a two. We get fight forever chance. They both get back up. Dustin is looking at Cody looking at his younger brother, and he takes a second to wonder what, what's he going to do here, and then he slaps Cody across the face. He goes to do it again, but Cody catches him, catches his arms uh, in underhooks, uh, swings him around, puts Dustin on his back, and hits a vertebraker out of nowhere. We've got a double down with a 10 count. And boy, if you want to talk about how impressive it is to see a 50-year-old man do a code red, also, a 50-year-old man taking a vertebraker. Wow. And so they're both down. We got a double down 10 count starting by Hebner. But Cody is up. Cody looks down at his older brother, and he lifts him up by his neck, uh, underneath his neck. So now he's in the crossroads position. Cody swings Dustin around and hits a hard crossroads. One, two, three. Cody has beaten his older brother and killed the Attitude Era. It's dead, just like his weight belt said. He's an attitude killer. 
attitude killer. So that was the match. Uh, the post match is worth mentioning. Uh, after it, Cody rolls to the outside. He's high. He's he's celebrating. They show the highlights of the match: Tope Suicida, Sinton, um, Brandy Spear, Brandy getting tossed out, a single punch on the outside, Figure Four, Code Red, Final Cut, Crossroads. You know all the big spots. The Afterwards, single. Cody gets back. Yeah, single punch. It was in there in the highlights. It was just. <laughs> it was like Brandy hits the spear. Um, there's the, there's the Sinton, there's not the head going to the turnbuckle, but there's a punch on the outside that they highlighted afterwards. Anyways, uh, afterwards, Cody gets back in the ring. The announcers are wondering, is Cody going to keep taking it out on his, on his older brother? Dustin's in the corner with some tears in his eyes on the bottom turnbuckle. And Cody asks for the mic. The crowd starts chanting, thank you, Dustin. Cause this for all intents and purposes after this loss is Dustin's last match. And Cody grabs the mic, and I'm paraphrasing here. Dustin, you don't get to retire here. I have to ask you a favor. Before all of this, I signed a match for next month. It's myself and a partner of my choosing against the Young Bucks. But I don't need a partner. I don't need a friend. I need my older brother. Both men stand up crying, they embrace, and Cody's music hits. And that's the match. With a tear in my eye! Fucking beaut of a moment. Well called there, Chad. Thank you, thank you. Uh, Well, it is now time to determine definitively if it is a classic. So we start with... Uh, our first category that we talk about here, and that is storytelling. Uh, why don't you kick us off with this one, D? Man, this was so fun to watch. I might have mentioned on our Instagram that this was actually anointed as Pro, Ris- Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Match of the Year in 2019. Some high praise. Um, I certainly remember this match being a big deal. And you and I watched it together. I usually watch it multiple times. And when I watched it back for the first time in a long time, I was able to pick out some miscommunications and some things here and there that I didn't like. And it wasn't perfect. Subsequent viewings made me enjoy it even more. And let me tell you, the storytelling was huge here. They didn't have months of build. They didn't have a bunch of television shows to kind of play up exactly how this match was going to be laid out. They had a blade job that is horrific, reminded me of Eddie Guerrero and JBL, Judgment Day 2004. All of these things going on, and they were telling stories the entire time. We talked about both guys doing gold dust and stardust poses to each other. Obviously, a little chippy brother versus brother. Once the match got down and dirty and there was blood everywhere, Man, Dustin Rhodes was doing some incredible work. Every move he would hit was big, and he would go for a cover. It was desperation. He had to slap the mat, fire himself up. He had to just survive to be out there. And I feel like most of the stuff they were doing was personal, and they were just painting us a picture. The storytelling is an absolute thumbs up. What say you? I agree. Uh, I mean, I think you could 
feel it. I think the announcers did a good job themselves too of telling you what the story was, you know, and how they were feeling. I think it was an easy story to follow, you know, brother versus brother and generation versus generation. And um, with Cody like doing a move to mock Dustin and Dustin giving it right back to him, you know, those were little points in there. And, you know, the only thing that I didn't like is that the finish to me felt a little anticlimactic because Cody Cody hits the vertebraker and then they do a double down and Cody's up and like Hebner and Cody talk for a second and then he just lifts Dustin up and hits a crossroads. So there wasn't like move after move fluid. It was like they were both down and Cody was hurt and then he just hit one more move and, and got him. Um, but that didn't make it a thumbs down at all for me. It was definitely a thumbs up. Uh, I think that's by would be my only tiny criticism of it. All right. Next is atmosphere. Atmosphere, I think, is an easy thumbs up. You know, I do think Marvez himself tried. He did add some to the story, and he did try and take away a little bit with with his move calling and sweating blood. Um, but I thought the crowd was just so amazing the whole time, and I thought Jr. was very good and Excalibur were very good as well. Um, from start to finish, the crowd was into it and they were playing their part well. Uh, you know, they may have cheered Cody a little bit, but then they they started to get behind the story of the match and really follow along. So I felt it. I, I mean, I think that's part of why this match was rated match of the year is because you felt the emotion in the match before, during, and after. So atmosphere, easy thumbs up for me. Marvez's couple of snafus are the only thing that you could take away as far as atmosphere goes. JR was into this. He was good. Excalibur is just great. The crowd was at a fever pitch most of the time. They were ready for this. They went along for the ride. They added to the atmosphere so well. Um, They were a big, big part of the big fight feel that this match had. Atmosphere, easy thumbs up. All right. What What about execution? So... I mean, I there were definitely a couple of things that I question. You and I sort of disagree on whether or not uh, the transition into um, Dustin being busted open was that handled properly or not. I'll let that slide. There was a couple of weird moments, especially early on in the match. It looked like Cody wanted to go for a Fujiwara armbar, and he kind of locked knuckles with Dustin. He starts to pull his arm, and Dustin's arm ain't going anywhere, and then Cody just lets it go. Obviously, you know, like telling the crowd to move and throwing Dustin into the ring and Dustin really not knowing what was going on. I mean, it it wasn't perfect. The finish, like you said, they definitely could have milked that a little bit, struggled a little bit for one more move. But everything else that they did was top tier. I really liked that towards the end of the match, they started busting out big moves. That's a staple in a lot of, you know, Cody's matches. He likes to do, if it's a big match, he's going to start hitting pretty big moves and big near falls at the end. But it really worked here. And you're asking a 50-year-old man to take moves like a vertebraker and to give you a superplex from the tippy top rope while he's bleeding all over himself and can barely breathe. I mean, they, they worked it really well. We talked about the storytelling being great. And the execution kept up pretty well. Not many matches are, extre- you know, 100% perfect from bell to bell. And this was pretty close, especially, you know, this is their first pay-per-view. There was a lot of pressure here. I thought that they did great as far as execution. You can argue, you know, it definitely wasn't perfect. But was this on 
on brand as far as uh, classic level execution. Wasn't perfect, but I still think it slides into that classic level tier. I don't have much more to add. I agree. You know, I was on the fence at the beginning watching it, and then uh, they really ramped it up, and everything made sense that they were doing. And, you know, even the little stuff like Dustin flailing around because he couldn't see and, um, you know, the the timing of what Cody was doing. So, uh, except for, again, the ending, which was a little weird, um, but that wasn't there wasn't a missed execution there. It was just a little, uh, a little different with the – well, and the like flying flip that they both did with each other, but uh, it didn't take away from the match. So there wasn't like this huge pull you out of it moment. So I'm thumbs up on execution as well. All right. Finally, we have significance. This one was tough for me because, you know, uh, we're asking for significance for uh, a company that's only been around for two years now you know, a little over two years. That was their first show. So it's been a little over two years now that they've been running shows as AEW. And so that means that this as a match of the year is, this is match of the year is definitely significant. There's significance there. It being such a great match in their history is significant there, but you didn't have the time to build up. It's like lore and, you know, it's an importance. And like, I don't think anyone, uh, I I remembered it because I had to think hard about what would be a good AEW match. And I don't think people talk about this as like the classic that, that it, like it could be when people are talking about great matches, like, you know, one's it, it's not on anyone. When you say what are great AEW matches, this doesn't pop into anyone's head uh, immediately. And it, and it should, because it, regardless, it was a great match. So for me, I'm a little on the fence uh, of significance. So what's your thoughts? I can't take you off the fence here. This is a significant show in that it's AEW's first pay-per-view, but this match can't take credit for that. Um, it's certainly one of the pillars on which this card was built around, and it helped vault this company into legitimacy. Um, it needed to be good, and it was. I mean, to get an award from any media outlet uh, that's respected as a match of the year, I mean, that's huge, especially considering that this is a fledgling company you know, grasping for something, but this, this was a really, really, really good match, but you're going to have to have some of those, you know, to gain traction and whatnot as it is. This isn't, I don't think this is one of the best matches I've ever seen. Um, it was just really, really good. Um, and it came at a really important time for the company. This isn't the first brother versus brother, big time match. It's not even the best brother versus brother match there's ever been. I would definitely give that honor to uh, Brett and Owen. Um, I'm sure if we thought really hard, there would be more, um, I don't know. I don't know if you count storyline brothers like Edge and Christian or Undertaker and Kane. Does that, you know, have the same significance? Probably not. But this is a really big deal because the Rhodes family does go back many generations. And um, if Dusty had been alive, I think it would have been very uncomfortable for him to watch. But his boys did him proud. And so this really sticks out because it had a lot of genuine emotion. And you mentioned the post-match being, you know, really well done and um, legitimately emotional. So I got to say that it stands out really well. I just don't know if you're talking about wrestling as a whole, if this is a significant match in wrestling. It's not an easy no, but I don't think that this match hits all four categories perfectly. 
And so I will probably say that this is debatably no, not necessarily significant in pro wrestling history. I think if you ask the question to do anything that hasn't been done before, the answer is no. Um, you know, we can debate if it is its significance to AEW. Um, I do think that this begs the question and we're not going to get into it now because we need to get into our designation of whether or not it's a classic after some overall thoughts, but do we judge is a match, a classic match based off of the match itself or does everything from the video package and the throne breaking to the end post post-match promo a part of the match as well? And I think that that's, I think that that is a key question here because, you know, when you go and watch Cody versus Dustin, do you watch just the match or do you watch the whole thing? So, um, so a, a question to debate another time and, uh, you know, anyone listening wants to send us their thoughts on that. I'd be curious to hear what, what you think, but we need to move on. And so it's time before we designate yes or no of a classic, we get to some overall thoughts uh, and I will start with the overall thoughts. And I do want to say that uh, this was a great match. It is a great match. It is a match that I would recommend people watching and seeing, especially if you are getting into AEW or you got into AEW late and you want to know some of the history of what got AEW to where it is. Um, I think, I do think this is probably maybe if not one of the, if not the best match in both men's careers and worth seeing for that. Um, and I think that the atmosphere was classic level atmosphere and emotion there. And so uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of great things going for this match. Um, but overall, uh, you know, it, it's one of those things where maybe time will tell how deep of a classic it is. And if we designate it, it becomes maybe our first modern classic because it's the most recent match that we've uh, ever given that designation to. But um, I do think either way, go see it if you haven't. D? Overall thoughts, this match is far from perfect. Um, I didn't like Cody's sort of back and forth on being a heel. He came into this match a heel, but when he gets into the ring, he's rallying the crowd really hard and and getting some cheers. Come on, you know, this is my company, this, you know, getting fired up. And then there's a key moment in the match at the end when he hits a low blow on Dustin. And it's really out of place for me. I know he's a heel, but I also know, as we discussed, where this match ends up going. And that's it ends up into a family emotional moment. And it's a big deal. So that kind of stuff bothers me, and it keeps this match from being a surefire, definite, easy call for me. That being said, the atmosphere was easily classic level. The storytelling was pretty close. And these guys, you know, really got into liftoff towards the end of the match, and it was really, really good, especially because of the blood. The fact that it's two Rhodes brothers and their long history with the WWE, even Cody, who's still in prime age, you know, he had a lot of long history as a third or a second generation wrestler. There's just a lot going on here. 
and the match was really, really, really good. So I liked it a lot. I would have a hard time saying, uh, I mean, this one, I just really sit on the fence for this one. So I'm going to throw it to you. It's your choice. I think we both like this match a ton. So we got to know. Given to you, we're going to throw it to you. What is your call, Chad? Is this match a classic? Cody, no last name, versus Dustin Rhodes, AEW, double or nothing, 2019, MGM Grand, Paradise, Nevada, May 2019. Is a classic. Welcome to my house, baby. Take control now. We can't even slow down. We don't have to go a while. I mean, that's a big one. When you when you think about last week's episode, I still feel like I still feel bad. Like I don't know. Maybe I should have designated that one a classic. But I just want to say quickly, we have two matches that we reference all the time, and they both involve Brock Lesnar. CM Punk versus Brock Lesnar was well worked enough to be a classic, but it didn't really have a classic moment. Eddie Guerrero versus Brock Lesnar was not worked all that well, but obviously Eddie's title win is historically classic. This match had just enough of all the good things about those matches to kind of vault it into, I would say, you know, it barely made it, but I, I totally agree. Yeah, I think so. And I think if we had a modern classic wing of the is it a classic Hall of Fame, it's not a Hall of Fame, a list, I guess, then this will be the first one in there, um, which is one thing, I, one reason why I wanted to explore a match that happened recently to see what we thought of it and sort of continue to define what it means to be a classic. But speaking of classic, uh, we have a match that we need to take a look at for next week, and it is your choice, sir. So what do you got for us? This match will likely be the people's choice, but we have gone way too long into this show without exploring a controversial but undeniable figure in professional wrestling history, and that is Hulk Hogan. I want to do Hulk Hogan versus The Rock, Toronto, Canada, WrestleMania 18. Man, I already immediately have like some some thoughts about it and some like prejudgments I need to get out of my head of where I think which way I'm going to go and save that for when I actually watch it. Um, definitely a memorable match, and I'm excited to go uh, relive it again. Me too, man. I I'm the same way. I, I've I've watched that match multiple times, but it has been a while. So you probably think that you know how you feel about it. But let's put it to the test, brother, brother. We're going to put it through the system. We're going to put it through the ringer. We're going to give it an old back rake like you're going to see in that match and uh, see how it actually comes out if we get technical. That's right. Well, thanks, everyone, for joining us on this week's Is It a Classic? As always, please reach out to us. Uh, email us at isitaclassicpod at gmail.com. Send in your match suggestions. Send in your thoughts on the show. We, we do uh, take those suggestions and run with them. You can find us on Instagram at classic underscore pod. Um, you can rate us, review us, subscribe to us on any of your podcast channels. Um, you could probably uh, find our number somewhere, you know, and call us, you know, um, find us on Facebook. You know, uh, we want to interact with you. So let us Stalk know who us. you are so we can do that. 
What was that? Stalk us, please. Stalk us. Yeah, please stalk us. Please stalk us. Um, and to all the all those in the locker room, uh, we appreciate you listening as well. So tune in next week for another brand new edition of Is It a Classic? We out. <laughs>